0: We return to Paul's letter to the Philippians. I was reviewing some things in the commentaries, and one of them noted at the beginning that it's considered the shepherd psalm of the New Testament. It's almost like Psalm 23 of the New Testament. It's just such a pastoral uh, message. As you know, it's to people who are particularly close to him. He doesn't have to speak to them like those in Galatia or Corinth. Uh, There's such uh, a long term history here of serving together, loving one another, working well together. And uh, chapter 4, he's giving mostly just some final address. Um, There does seem to be some connection to what he's saying, but it's kind of like the end of Romans 15 and other epistles where he kind of is giving um, a number of things that are not unrelated, but they're almost standalone things, just to remind them as as the letter's closing and, and uh, they will part, so to speak. I think it was uh, Dennis Johnson that gave the example of when a parent is bringing their children to college, you know, don't forget this, and then call us, and don't forget this, and email us, don't forget this, and that, and this, and then text us, you know. <laughs> so it's almost like he's just giving a, a number of Uh, things to just remember towards the end. But it's not that it's unrelated. Certainly this verse is related to what's come uh, tonight. But he's giving some things for us to just kind of remember to be applying ourselves to in his closing remarks. We're in the last chapter of the letter, of course. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 is our text. Uh, Let me just begin with verse 1. Actually, because of some things that will come up let me begin with verses 20 and 21 of chapter 3 and lead into our verse, just to remember context, especially as we're taking these quite often a verse at a time, just to remember the flow of thought here. So let me start with chapter 3, verse 20, uh, and we'll, uh, I'll, re- I'll read a second time verse 5, that'll be our scripture, chapter 4, verse 5, that's our scripture for the sermon this evening. Let's begin with Philippians 3, verse 20, hear now the word of the Lord. For our conversation, and that means citizenship, our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Chapter 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. And so verse 5 is our text this evening. And I I do think these verses 4 and 5 are transitioning from what came before, but particularly leading into and part of what comes in in the next verses. Verse 5, we focus on this evening. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. May God bless this, the reading, the preaching, the hearing, the believing, and the living out of His holy word. Dennis Johnson explains that in this verse, Paul is quote, uh, Paul quote uh, directs our attention from the Lord the source of our joy, to other people who are often the source of our stress. (laughs) I thought that maybe meant to be a bit humorous. It kind of made me chuckle, but maybe there's some truth to that. The Lord is the source of our joy. Often other people are the source of our stress. Now, of course, that's not always true. I think it's not usually true. We love to be working together. Paul has been speaking about those in the Philippian church as his crown and joy and how much he rejoices working with them. But we do see that Paul in chapter 4 is wanting to be careful that there does not become a division because of some disagreements, and we always need to be learning how to work together. And that was the message, um, verses 2 and 3. Uh, keep helping one another work together. Rejoicing sure helps, the verse last week. Tonight we, tonight we see that the response of Christians to problems with all people must be reasonable to redeem the time. And reconcile, so as to witness to all people of the nearness and nearing of their Lord Jesus Christ. I give that to you as the idea of our text this evening. The response of Christians to problems with all people must be reasonable. To redeem the time and reconcile, so as to witness to all people of the nearness and nearing of their Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's remember the context. Paul's not so much dealing with division, but with disagreements. It's not like some of the other letters. It's not so much that there are arguments, but maybe potential annoyances. It's not so much certain sins of doctrine or behavior, so much as potential self-centeredness that could lead to such things. And he's able to deal with this more gently with the Philippians, and he's working to keep it from going somewhere he is talking about the need to forbear with one one another in in deference, in magnanimity, for the sake of the unity of Christ's church. Gordon Clark says this, pastors and pastors' wives, of course, you could add children. They they deal with a lot of things pastors deal with. Pastors and pastors' wives need a large share of of forbearance in view of senseless dissensions within a congregation. Now, not all of them can be helped, not all of them can be worked out, but there's a lot of times when there just shouldn't be things happening that are happening. But of course, that's all of us. We all uh, need a large share of forbearance, which is why we're all told to have forbearance in this scripture, and in so many scriptures, a few we've been to not long ago and will review. And such forbearance can be done in the close and closing presence of the Lord Jesus. I think we can often feel like, well, how do you expect me to do that? You know, because Jesus is here with us, we can do all things in Christ. That's coming later in the chapter, right? And the presence of Jesus will be here face to face, and we want him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. And whatever wrongs have been done to us, we know that will be made right in the coming of the Lord. But I think mainly it is the Redeemer is present with us. And so he calls on us to redeem the time, being reasonable, reconciling, and giving a witness to the world. So the message for you tonight is this. Be reasonable reconcilers by your Redeemer. Pardon the alliteration. I like to try to help you remember. Be reasonable reconcilers by your Redeemer. First of all, remember you are always giving a witness. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying is always your witness. However you do or do not get along is always your witness to one another, to your children, to the watching world. So remember, you are always giving a witness. When our children learn how to play nice and share in the sandboxes of the world with their siblings and especially with strangers, other parents take notice and will often Uh, Make some kind of an encouraging comment, because it's a pleasant thing to experience, and it's an observation that is praiseworthy. And that's, I think, part of what Paul's talking about to us tonight. Let it be known. Let it be that the kind of thing we've been talking about in all these chapters would be known by others, would be known and experienced by the world, that you are in the world but not of it. And may the way you know how to work together be a witness, be known by experience recognized in a sense of coming to know by personal experience. So whatever other people might say about a church or a person or a people, people who know and work with you directly and observe you together, you say, I don't know what you're saying. I love those people. Give a witness to all men, Paul says. Be known to all men. May your moderation be made known to all men. This is our corporate testimony, how we happily handle issues together with the ministry of reconciliation. Now, remember, the ministry of reconciliation is what it is to be new creatures in Christ. 2 Corinthians five seventeen to 18, if you're truly a new creature in Christ, then you have, above all things, the ministry of reconciliation. It's one of the way we give a witness that we're able to actually work things out and be reasonable. And if we lack that ability, it says a great uh, testimony, perhaps in the negative, about where we really are with Christ and where we really are with his church. Being unreasonable, unwilling to reconcile, unwilling to meet and talk things out. Paul's warning against that. He's not even dealing with the big issues here. He's just dealing with, you know, they don't do it the way I do it. I just find their mannerism annoying, whatever, just you know, smaller things that could become big. He's wanting us to be willing to deny our own way of doing it. And I think for you, just as me, if you really are honest, it's like, oh, I really want to change it the way I think it should be done. No, just leave it alone. You know, just leave it alone. It doesn't always have to be done your way. This is not Burger King. Okay? You know, if you don't want pickles on your Whopper, you can have it that way fine. But you, know, you don't always have to have everything the way you want it in church or in life. And uh, you know, I gave you that example of Fernanda and I have very different tastes as it comes to decoration. And we defer to one another and we learn how to find things that satisfy us both. And sometimes just, look, you choose this time. That's what Paul's talking about. You know, because it's really, that's really the foundation. So many bad things can come out of little things, right? It's often the little things. So that's, that's what he's talking about tonight. He's not dealing with uh, the difficult doctrines and uh, wicked worldly practices. He's done that. He's done with that in chapter 3. It's not the only thing he's talked about, but he's dealt with those things. This, he's coming back to chapter 2, really the idea of working well together in a, in a pretty good context that already exists. That he's rejoicing with them over and thanking them over as he's thanking them for their gift to the ministry and is sending Epaphroditus to see how he is, sending Epaphroditus back to let them know how he and Epaphroditus is, because he almost died, you know, working, considering one another's needs, even taking the trouble for that kind of difficult travel just to get back and communicate with them. It's a, it's a very positive thing here with the Philippians. But he's, he's wanting it to stay that way, and that's, that's what he's talking about. Just as new creatures, keep being reasonable, reconciling, working things out. Let's not, let's not let anything get us distracted from the main thing of the gospel mission. Uh, he says, let your moderation be known unto all. And the word your is plural. That's something that we don't recognize as quickly in our English and the way English has changed over the years. But uh, it's plural. It's like uh, y'all or all y'all in Texas or yinz in Pittsburgh. Uh, let your, that is all of your um, moderation be known unto all. So it's the idea of a corporate identity before the world, a witness as a church, as the church, and with other churches before the world. Gordon Clark reminds us that Paul is writing in prison. And his ministry to the Philippians originally landed him in prison. Acts 16, there he and Silas sang at midnight. And the doors were opened miraculously, and they could have left, but they stayed. And the jailer called out, was crying, and he was going to kill himself. And they called out and said, don't harm yourself. And this was a witness to the jailer. Their solidarity and their concern for how he was, was a witness. And so he became a part of the early Philippian church. Their witness was not one of retaliation. They could have been a little bitter with him. It was of consideration. Let's win the guy over together. Let him, hearing, let him hear us rejoicing and again rejoicing at midnight in prison. Singing. Singing. It was so much that it converted the jailer and his whole household. And let's remember the early Philippian churches. is you got Lydia, wealthy, probably hosting the church at first, it would seem in her house. You got this jailer. You got a young lady who had been uh, apparently possessed. It's kind of a motley crew if you would, which was, I think we could say that of overall from different backgrounds. And so the idea is they're not they're not all and then you got now we're hearing these names, uh, Euodias and Syntyche, are, are probably names that demonstrate they're probably uh, more in a in a higher level of society, as apparently Lydia would be. And so you got quite a cross of people from society, and they're really not going to naturally all think the same thing, right? They're going to all see things from very different reference points. And Paul is saying, don't let those things keep you from... Working together, be a witness, a corporate witness together of how you, from all these different backgrounds, all these different ways of looking at life, by your own cultures you come from, by your own just ways of doing things, let them see how you can work well together. And that's going to need moderation. Moderation, just as we think of it in English, is not immoderate, right? Not too much this way, not too much that way, balanced, reasonable. We'll think about that word more together in a moment. Forbearance often considered to be translated as reasonable. But right now we're noticing that we would just be giving a testimony. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the Hebrew words for the congregation is the testimony. We're to be giving a corporate witness. We're to be mindful of how our working and living together in unity, humbling ourselves, as Paul calls us to so much in the letter for the sake of others, the unity of the whole is a witness. It's a light in a dark world that does otherwise. And if it does any of that, it's for its own, one another's own purposes. Non-Christians, as well as fellow Christians, should observe and experience what it's like for Christians with differences to be working with one another well. And they should even know what it's like to work with Christians in different ways, particularly the marketplace and recognize how Christians in the marketplace know how to get along with others. We ought to be the peacemakers, right? We ought to be the ones that are reasoning and saying, let's talk, guys. Let's work this out. And, you know, when we have our own uh, problems with someone, we want to try to work it out and be reasonable, not run away and be mad. We don't want to be like the world it's going to go away and gossip and cause problems. We're going to stay and we're going to work it out. We're going to be reasonable about things. And others should be able to give a testimony to that as they experience our testimony overlapping in their lives, shining into the darkness. And certainly that should be able to be our testimony together. And again, it's not that it is without difficulties or challenges, but it's working them out to not have division. Now again, this is not talking about main doctrines and practices, clear things taught in the Word. It's talking about our working with one another as people, with our different personalities, you know, and our different ways of doing things. We are to be able to be reasonable and redeem the time, to be able to reconcile. And that's different from the way of the world. We're to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. This is about bearing a witness of forbearance. And forbearance is what Paul is calling us unto again. So give a witness that you are reasonable, that you want to reconcile, you want to work things out, redeem our times. You are always giving a witness. Give a witness that you are reasonable. You know, when we're driving, sometimes there's a yield sign, not a stop sign. When there's stop signs or red lights, everybody knows what to do, or at least we're supposed to. <laughs> sometimes I go crazy on the way to the uh, Maxwell's house. I can never see the stop sign at this one intersection because this tree ought to be trimmed and I'm like, ah, but I know I'm supposed to stop, but I'm thankful no one's there to get mad at me. But there's another place on the way to the Maxwell's house where there's a yield sign. It's just the confluence of two roads that's a little different. And what is a yield sign? It's a triangle. It's yellow. It's not red. It means, hey, if there's no one here, you can go. But if there is someone coming from that other direction, you need to yield to them. Slow down. They have the right of way. You give them the right of way. That's the idea. And if it's not clear, you know, sometimes people could come up to some kind of a thing and who yields first? Well, it's just a good idea to yield to them anyways and be able to wave hands at each other, hey, thanks neighbor, and smile as you each pass on compared to how it can often go if we're not careful. What a, what a nice thing just to yield. No, by all means you go first, right? You <laughs> can avoid accidents. can avoid, frankly, uh, sometimes you hear some horrible things on the news about road rage and things that are ridiculous that happen. But if you're willing to yield, uh, willing to, even if you got there first, That's that's what Paul's talking about. Moderation is the idea. (coughs) Excuse me. Moderation. Charles Erdman says it is the power of yielding. That's what Paul's talking about tonight. The power of yielding. We think the power is in. Get out of my way. (laughs) I go first. Er, No. It's in the power of yielding unto another. Moderation. William Hendrickson seems to uh, concur. He says that uh, this moderation is the patient willingness to yield. Wherever yielding is possible without violating any real principle must be shown to all, not only to fellow believers. Again, it's it's not when there's an issue that we can't yield on. It's not when there's uh, an an attack on God's scriptures uh, that can't be yielded on. But there's so much that can be and you yield as long as you possibly can. Erdman says that uh, he might translate it, sweet reasonableness. Sweet reasonableness. You want people to be able to save you. They are just so reasonable. <laughs> if you stop and think about it, that's quite the compliment. Uh, sweet reasonableness. Uh, Kenneth West concurs the idea of sweet reasonableness. It could be translated... Uh, Erdman goes on to say, it describes that courtesy and graciousness which should characterize a Christian gentleman. It is the opposite of stubbornness and thoughtlessness. Let me read that again. It is the opposite of stubbornness and thoughtfulness. I won't talk, I won't meet, I won't discuss. I won't seek to reconcile. It's the opposite of that. It's forbearance. You could translate it here, forbearance. And remembering that the Greek word for forbearance often means to hold others in high esteem. And we looked at that in Ephesians 4, 1-3. J. Montgomery Boyce says this word moderation literally means to be Reasonable. He translates it gentle, as some do, but he says it literally means to be reasonable. It also does have the idea of gentleness, that is, patience of mind. Tyndale translates it as softness. It doesn't mean that we don't have to say something that challenges or redirects or questions, but we can do it in a way that is you know, is reasonable about it. It's not making it bigger than it needs to be, but being able to talk about it for what it is and especially not an issue of dealing with sin. Uh, It's temperance, self-control. Frank Thielman says this word we have as moderation is, the term was often used of an attitude of kindness where the normal or expected response was retaliation. Jesus says turn the other cheek, for instance. That's quite the witness, isn't it? (laughs) Dennis Johnson says, It is the calm and kind disposition that enables a person to offer a non-violent, even generous response to others' aggression. Aristotle, he, he keeps continuing to quote Dennis Johnson, Aristotle explained it as a willingness to forego one's rights according to the letter of the law. Believers should extend kindness rather than retaliation to those who harass and oppress them. Moises Silva says that this idea of moderation or forbearance, the Greek word, uh, he mentions that uh, several commentators have suggested that the world reflects an attitude of contentment. Uh, No, excuse me, the word that we're looking at in the Greek here, reflects an attitude of contentment with one's state, even when one has not been treated justly. He says, Paul expects believers to be guided by a frame of mind that does not put priority on personal rights. Believers whose primary concern is whether or not they are being dealt with fairly will fail to exercise a fundamental element of Christian behavior preferring others above themselves. William Hendrickson says this, and I'm giving you a lot of quotes tonight because I think this word warrants this extra explanation to get a full sense of what we're talking about. Let your moderation be seen before all. The Lord is at hand. William Henderson explains this Greek word for moderation. He says, the lesson which Paul teaches is that true blessedness cannot be obtained by the person who rigorously insists on whatever he regards as his just due. The Christian is the man who reasons it is far better to suffer wrong than to inflict wrong. And he cites 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. In that context, saying, we ought not to be going to court with one another in the world. We ought to be able to work things out together. And if we have to, we'd rather suffer wrong than inflict it as much as possible. Sometimes, outside the church, or someone who's left but won't let go, we just need to be seen not taking invitations to a fight and leaving a lot that could be said unsaid and move on. And if they return, to receive them again and to receive them again, rejoicing. And again, I say rejoice. Remember the context here. Paul has been calling upon us to have humility for the sake of unity to have self sacrifice for the service of others moderation reasonable i don't i don't really need to worry about that i don't need to comment on that and risk offending or hurting it's not that significant and if there is some misunderstanding we have moderation to bring it back together with christ as our example As God says in Isaiah 1, verse 18, let us reason together. Let us reason together. The ministry of Christians who are truly new creatures in Christ is to say, let us reason together. And to respond, well, that's reasonable. Let's talk. Let's figure out how to continue to walk arm in arm. Let us reason together. And of course... That scripture in Isaiah says, God says to us, let us reason together. Though your sins are scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Can we not reason together under the blood of Christ in our white robes? This is the ministry of Christians, reconciliation, and it takes being reasonable. It takes forbearance. Sweet reasonableness. Thus, chapter 2 verses 3 to 5. He's not exactly saying anything new to us. It's as if he's reminding us the main thing, one of the main things, before he signs off at the end of the letter. Look at chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Or as Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, the latter verse we've had a sermon on not too long ago, if it be possible, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And that takes being reasonable. Moderation. Not responding in reckless retaliation in anger and being unreasonable about whatever the situation is. Beloved, be not easily provoked, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, but instead be easily entreated, James 3, verse 17. Keep in mind, Luke 21, verse 19, In your patience possess ye your souls. Henry Anderson writes, It is better to be known for patience than for quarreling. You can afford to be patient, for someday all things will be put right. But I want to think about that for a moment. It's better to be known for patience than quarreling. That's what Paul's saying tonight. Let your moderation be known to all. Be known for being patient. Be known for being reasonable. Be known for being those who keep showing up and keep working out, so we keep working on together. Be known for being patient. Be known for being reasonable. Not for quarreling. I think sometimes there are those who, that's all they seem to want to be known for. All they want to do is quarrel. And if they don't get what they want, or they don't get what they think is right, they just want to go quarrel elsewhere. And they're never done. And sometimes it's, it's a marvel to folks how they just never let go. Move on! And they want to take it to the streets, and they want to take it To the social networks. They just want to argue and be angry. And what they don't recognize is this is the opposite of Christianity. This is the opposite of what Paul is saying. Some folks do so right in the middle of preaching this letter. Don't be known for quarreling. Don't be found on the internet or elsewhere just always being the one arguing and bitter, mad, and divisive. Be known for being reasonable. Be known for being patient. Again, Henry Anderson, it is better to be known for patience than for quarreling. Now, you know that Jesus says, Sometimes people will say all kinds of things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. I meant to bring the scripture up last week. Rejoice again always. Again, I say rejoice. How can we rejoice even when things are bad? And Jesus says, rejoice. Blessed are you when people say bad things about you for my sake. Such were the prophets before you. But we don't want to be known for quarreling because it's true. True. We want to be reasonable. We want to be reasonable in how we work with other churches, more or less pure. We want to be reasonable in how we seek to be part of a presbytery and to work within a presbytery. Reasonable, being able to defer or uh, dissent without division. Reasonableness, to bear unity together as we forbear and have that witness. For Christ, he says, you can afford to be patient, for someday all things will be put right. And it is Christ who made you right, and it is Christ who will make all things right, by whom you can, and to whom you ultimately give your testimony. Give a witness that you are your Redeemers. You are always giving a witness. Give a witness that you are reasonable, so that you give a witness that you are your Redeemer. You are your Redeemers, and He is yours. When you know your loved one is near and supporting you through difficulties, you can handle things with more happiness, more peace and acceptance of difficulties, especially with their hug or perhaps a back rub, <laughs> and their voice of reassurance and confidence. You can handle things when others are against you because you have that nearness of that one who's there to care for you, care about you, you care about. It. And the thing is, Jesus is near, Paul says. This is how you can do it. This is why you can do it. Jesus is near. Now remember, Paul is writing this while he is distant. Far away. But Jesus is near. He's with them. He's present and he's able to help. Help us to do it right and help us to make it through whatever wrongs have been done to us. The Lord is at hand, Paul says. Let your moderation uh, be known to all. The Lord is at hand, known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. this means the Lord is near. It could be eschatological there 's different opinions on this in the commentaries that meaning uh, it 's referring more to chapter three verses twenty and twenty one and other things Paul said where the Lord is coming you know we 're looking to the resurrection though he 's mostly talking about attaining more and more Christ-likeness, godliness, until that day. But it it could be that maybe he's thinking more about the Lord is coming soon. So don't worry about having vengeance. Vengeance is the Lord and he's coming soon. You'll have your justice. I'm not sure that's the tenor, though, of the letter, is it? Uh, In terms of having justice. It could be, or the idea of Christ's presence. The Lord is near. The presence by which you can do this supernatural thing by his Holy Spirit with you. The way you can work these things out against your human, sinful, old man nature. The Lord is near. He's in you. He's with you. He's with his church. He's working in you. He can work this out with you. You can work things out in him. He is near. Dennis Johnson says it's perhaps both. He says the Lord is near, now by his Spirit bringing aid in our sufferings, and he is coming soon. In his glory, bringing suffering to an end. And I think that both can be understood here. Both can be applied. You might say the Lord is near and he is nearing. The Lord is close and he's closing in. But I think Gordon Clark is right. He says if you look at the context that follows next, it would seem to favor an emphasis on the idea that Christ is present. He's near us. It would seem that he's emphasizing Christ's omnipresence. And think of the distance between them. You think of the letter of John writing on the Isle of Patmos, the sense of the distance. And so one of the hopes communicated when Christ does come back, finally, there's no sea, there's no separation. The Lord is near. Wherever we find ourselves separated, we're together with one another in spirit. But particularly Christ and the spirit of Christ is near. He's with us. And so we can do these things. Paul has been saying, in the Lord, in the Lord, stand fast in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. It's in the Lord. It's in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do this. We can do what seems maybe impossible. but In Christ, we can reason together. We're going to be talking about having peace and contentment in the moment later. It seems appropriate. The presence of the Lord with us is being emphasized as closeness to help us do that. And of course, look back to chapter 1, verse 6. This, this idea of God's nearness working within us is, an, is a motivation for us. Um, chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is doing a good work in you at the moment. You can do whatever he's calling you to do. uh, You can do what you have done together. And as he gives a little bit of a, hey, let's just remember, put differences aside, Eodius and Syntyche and Clement, why don't you help them out a little bit? sounds like they're already working it out. Real quick notice, let's move on. Now rejoice in the Lord again. I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. His presence with us, he's working in us. This is encouragement to do what's being told to us. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but how are we to do that? Verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And they're being spoken to not just as individuals, but particularly as the church, to keep on keeping on, to keep on working well together as they also work with Paul as they have for years and he rejoices in them as his joy and crown. Let's maintain that testimony, Paul is saying. It's a little extra reminder. Maintain that witness by giving the witness of forbearance, reasonableness, sweet reasonableness, working together. The Lord is at hand. He's with you. It's not a problem. And you can think of what he's going to say in a moment. You can do this because the Lord is with you. But remember, Psalm 23, verse 4, I won't fear because thou art with me. And of course, if the good shepherd is with one sheep, he's with the whole flock. If the good shepherd is with each of us dumb, stupid sheep, then by his presence, we can work things reasonably together. Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content With such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Gabriel, pay attention. Now think about that. Be content with such things as you have, because Christ is always with us. He's never going to leave us. Well, let's back to chapter 4 together. He's getting us ready for that. Let your moderation, you're able to work together. Be seen before all men, because Christ the Lord is here with you. He's present with you, and he will be with you in the end, and he will be coming back in the end for you, but you can do this in the meantime. Look at verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You can be content to work together well. Maybe they have this, you wish you had it. Maybe they don't do something the way you'd like it. You can can be content whether you have everything you want or you have nothing. You can learn to be that way. And how primarily? Because Christ strengthens you to do it. You can show your moderation to others and continue to give the witness that you have been giving. You can check yourself and bring yourself in just a little better, clean it up, tighten up a little bit. There's no big thing here yet, but you can do that as you've always been doing it. You don't have to let this thing drop now and divide and the house fall. You can keep doing it because Christ... The Lord is at hand because Christ is near. Christ strengthens you to be content no matter what's going on with one another. You can be content in yourself with Christ and thus defer to others and give up your own thoughts and rights, esteeming others better than yourselves and their concerns more important than yours. How do we do that? Christ is near. You can be content and thus reasonable to reconcile differences because Jesus is near his church. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Psalm 34, verses 18 and 22, as you sang this evening, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He'll be near you and I as we call upon him in truth, which is not to deny everything we've just talked about, but to do it and live it out. And trust we can, however uppity we might feel, because Jesus is near. And Jesus is in each of his sheep, and he's the good shepherd of the sheep. The sheep, plural, have the understanding. If God is with us, so near to us, no one can be against us, and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And therefore, we can be for one another in unity with the issues that really don't matter much in the grand scheme of the gospel and Christ's kingdom and his presence that is at hand. In him with us. J. Montgomery Boyce writes this The sentence, this sentence, verse 5 of chapter 4, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. He says, The sentence is a warning not to be unduly rigorous in unimportant matters. He is not talking about compromise with the world's standards or conduct. He is merely saying that those who profess the name of Christ should be a bit bending in their attitudes, especially where other Christians are concerned. The solution is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is he who will do in the lives of yielded Christians what we might judge impossible. Talk it out. Work it out. Work well together. William Hendrickson offers uh, this, maybe we could say, loose translation of the verse. Let your big-heartedness be known to everybody. Let your big-heartedness be known to everybody. The first sentence. Or rather... Beloved, be reasonable, be reconcilers by your Redeemer. The message for you this evening, be reasonable reconcilers by your Redeemer. Let us pray. Lord God, you have reconciled us to you through Jesus Christ. Let us continue to be reconcilable, reconcilers by being reasonable, and respond well to let us reason together through Jesus Christ as well. In whose name we pray, and all your people said, Amen.